As a health professional, beauty and aging are the centerpiece of my research. And one thing is clear, if you want to age well, you would better keep your NAD levels high. NAD is a molecule in the human body that is vital to aging well and remaining youthful in so many ways. NAD creates energy, maintains healthy DNA, detects and uses nutrients efficiently, and even protects your cellular health. Unfortunately, from age 30 to age 70, NAD levels decline up to 65%. Simply put, when your NAD levels decline, aging accelerates. That's why if you care about aging well, you need to get Qualia NAD. Qualia NAD is a clinically tested supplement that can boost your NAD levels up to 50%. It's a vegan, non-GMO blend of three key naturally derived ingredients called NAD precursors that your body can readily convert into NAD. And 11 additional ingredients that support your body's NAD production. Qualia NAD is the easiest way to support your NAD levels deep into life, so you can stop losing one of the most vital molecules in your body for remaining youthful and in your prime. So if you're over 30, help stop your declining NAD levels with Qualia NAD risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com forward slash radiance and use code radiance will score you an additional 15% off. That's qualia NAD at neurohacker.com forward slash radiance with code radiance to age incredibly well from the inside out. Welcome everyone to today's episode on the Beauty and the Biohacker podcast. We have Katie and I here to spend some time with you. And in today's show, we are going to be discussing the science and the why behind cellular and skin aging and some tips, tactics, and strategies and test kits for you to use in, so we can test instead of guess what we're doing in order to optimize our aging process and get the best hair, skin, and nails of our lives. This is going to be a very biohacking-centric episode on how we can hack this. And Katie and I are really excited to be chatting with Kashif Khan, who is the chief executive officer and founder of the DNA Company, where personalized medicine is being pioneered through unique insights into the human genome. He is also the host of the Unpilled podcast. Growing up in Vancouver, Canada, in an immigrant household, Kashif developed an industrial entrepreneurial spirit, which may have been predetermined by his DNA, which we will discuss here. And from a young age, he kind of felt this way to be maybe having that entrepreneurial spirit. Prior to his tenure at the DNA company, Kashif advised a number of high growth startups in a variety of industries. As Kashif dove into the field of functional genomics as the CEO of the DNA company, it was revealed that his neural wiring was actually genetically designed to be entrepreneurial. However, his genes also revealed a particular sensitivity to pollutants and toxins. Now seeing his health from a new lens, Kashif dove further and started to see the genetic pathways that led to his own family's challenges and predispositions and the opportunities to reverse chronic illness and disease. His measure of success is not in dollars earned, but in lives improved. And as a thank you for hanging out with us here on the show, be sure to register also for the Biohack Your DNA Summit and purchase your DNA 360 test kit and use code BB for $50 off at the dnacompany.com 
forward slash BB50. And this is all going to be in the show notes that you can find over at beautyandthebiohacker.com forward slash blog. Welcome, 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 Kashif. How are you today? Great. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. And we have Katie here. What are you excited to learn about in our interview today, Katie? Oh my gosh, there's so much. I feel like we are just scratching the surface of what is possible when it comes to understanding the DNA, all of the you know genome sequencing. And there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to figure this out and really give people more information about aging and why it's kind of considered a disease and all of these things. So I'm really fascinated to kind of get from your perspective what, you know, what this uh, industry is going to look like in the next five years and what you guys have done to sort of pioneer things along so that we can start to look at aging from a different lens, not the traditional lens that we've uh, we've been taught. So, um, so yeah, we're going to get into all those things. But first, I, I'd love to know a little bit about your backstory. Uh, I, you know, from, from your bio, it, it sounds like, you know, there's, there's been a lot kind of going on uh, behind the scenes in your genio, uh, genomic like sequencing that sort of led you into this path of looking at the DNA in a new light. So tell us, you know, what were your health challenges growing up? What compelled you to want to start a company like this? For sure. Yeah. And that is what compelled me is resolving my own health challenges, which was unique for me because I was always healthy. I didn't really have any problems. Uh, and when I got to my late 30s, all of a sudden, a bunch of different things hit me all at the same time. Uh, I had eczema where literally I couldn't open my left eye because it was so inflamed and lit it was horrible. Um, I had psoriasis on my hands where if I were to clasp my and make a fist, I would bleed from my knuckles. It was so intense. Uh, migraines, completely debilitating, gut issues, depression issues. So all these things kept stacking and pile up on top of each other. And the question I would keep asking was, why is this happening? You know, and uh, clinically, the response was, no, it's more about what's happening and the pill you need to take. And the scan you need to go for and the MRI, let's figure out what's, why does your brain hurt? Right? Why are you getting migraines? So, and I didn't have a foray into the medical system until then and then i started to learn oh all we really do is get rid of the pain and that's it and if i have this much pain which i never had for 38 years didn't something change it just it wasn't a switch that was turned on i didn't do anything and that was the mistake in my belief i actually did do something but that something is not part of the medical equation what i did was i started adopting habits that were misaligned to my genome that made me sick and what were they? And this is what truly propelled me to walk away from, I, by the way, I was in the PR and marketing business. So I used to help startup companies grow. That was my passion. I loved doing it. Um, did it for many years. And that's where I got sick. And you got to look the part for that kind of role too. You're representing companies. And I, and I didn't. I literally was, I couldn't see my feet. Like I was, I had a belly. I couldn't sleep properly. I, my skin was horrible. My like everything, and I and I lost respect for myself and stopped taking care of myself. My hair was all disheveled, whatever, because you don't feel good anymore, and you go farther down that path, right? So, anyways, um, I literally walked away from that business to build the DNA company because of what I learned in my genome and how blown away I was in terms of the impact and what health could be. And what did I learn? That in my genetic profile. Sorry for the long answer to your question, but this is the last part of it. I was missing 
if your if your DNA is your human instruction manual, that's literally what it is. It's a book that your cells read that tells the cells what to do. I was missing some pages. So it's not even about what version of what gene I had or what variant or what SNP and things that you hear. I didn't even have these genes. These were key genes that allow your body to bind and clear toxins. So when you drink some alcohol, we all know that your liver helps you get rid of it. That process in between those many steps, we can look at your genome to determine how well you do each one of those steps, that baton pass from process to process to process, right? So I was missing some key steps, which meant the manufacturing company that was downstairs in the basement from my office that was pumping pollution into the airway that I was breathing for year after year after year. And eventually my body saying, well, under this level of inflammation, we can no longer fight the migraine. We can no longer fight the eczema or the psoriasis. And your body starts to express all these conditions. Right. So I then learned if I were to support with the right food supplementation, removing the wrong exposures, what I was missing genetically, I didn't need to be sick. And that's truly what came to fruition. Every label that I had of every condition, I'm now 42. I have not had since that time. I would have gone really down this path of a stack of pills, stack of problems, probably more problems by now. And that would have been my reality. But my current reality is I'm the healthiest I've ever been in my life. And that's why I built the DNA company because I just believe everybody needs access. This is such an interesting question, I think, that just came to mind. So looking back, at what age would you have wished that you did DNA testing to uncover predispositions? And what I'm thinking of is, should we be testing our children? And then I think of someone like Elon Musk, who has a bunch of kids, and they're not in traditional school system settings. He is looking at educating them in different ways. So you'd probably bet that he's done something like this. And you might have some insider insights on this. Yeah, tell me, what's your thoughts? I have three kids. They've all been tested. They are five, six, and 13. My niece was very close to me. is 14. She's been tested. Um, and I parent them differently. It, the, the, the way their brains are wired, I now understand their neural map and how they think and how they perceive the world. I understand how their body copes with certain macronutrients like fat, starches, what their insulin response looks like. I understand their body type and what sports they should actually be in so that they succeed. You know, especially the four and six or the five and six year old. She's five now. She was four until a few weeks ago. Um, You know what they're going to become so that I put them on a path to success as opposed to what I want or what their grandparents want or whatever that may lead to failure. So I know based on their DNA exactly what they're going to look like. What they're going to Instead of programming them, instead of programming them, you're reading their program. Exactly. I'm reading their human instruction manual. I know that my eldest son is going to be tall, thin, very strong, very fast. He's going to be an ideal basketball player, for example. Right. I know my middle son is going to more look more like Captain America. He's going to be regular height, a lot of muscle, but he's not going to be large. He's not going to look like Thor. He's not going to look like Dwayne Johnson. Right. He's that sort of ideal prototype. Right. So now I know what they're designed for. He would be a gymnast or a sprinter or, you know, something more in the, in the, in the realm of strength as opposed to endurance. So and it's very clear if I were to set him up to be a linebacker in football, he would have failed. Right. Just a path to failure. And how frustrating is that? What does that do to your mental health? What does that do to bullying and all these other things as opposed to a path to success, which 
our genes are telling us. We just didn't have the technology until now to read the book. That was the problem. You know, even a genetic test, you know, everyone's seen different things advertised. They don't do what we're talking about. They tell you what each gene means. Uh, and those genes are more about traits, you know, uh, what color is my hair, rare genetic conditions, which you probably already know you have because you're probably already suffering from it, right? Um, but true uh, functional interpretation that's root cause and the why behind everything, that's very, very new. It's only in the last couple of years we've been, uh, even had access. So curious because there is so much about, uh, you know, understanding your genetics and then being able to sort of manipulate it through epigenetics. I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on that piece of the puzzle. And then, of course, the bigger umbrella, which is how does this all relate to aging? Right. So I think both camps got it wrong, but rightfully so, because the way research is done is you have something you work on and you got to prove it. And health is all siloed. Orthopedics, pediatrics, cancer, oncology, they don't talk to each other. If you talk to an oncologist about diet, they're like, I don't do that. You got to go to that department, right? So genetic research was also done the same way, which is the geneticists were over here and the epigeneticists were over here and they didn't talk to each other. So what really needs to happen is, yes, your genetics are a foundation that are a blueprint that can inform red flags. What does my body not do well? But the answer from that shouldn't be, you have an 80% chance of Alzheimer's, good luck, right? It should be, well, I also have a 20% chance of not getting Alzheimer's with the exact same genetic blueprint. That's where the epigenetics come in. And the epigenetics shouldn't be, if you eat like this, you're getting sick. If you don't eat like this, you're not getting sick. No, you, it's different for different people. First, you have to look at the genome. Where are the red flags? Where do I need to focus? Then I got to look at what are the environment, nutrition, and lifestyle choices on that profile that can lead to a good or bad result per problem, for hormones, for mental health, for, for as, as you know, granular as you want to get. We can look at fibromyalgia. We can look at autism. Or we can look big picture at just weight, right? So that's the way it should be done. Uh, and it's, you know, you got to bridge these two camps, which is kind of what we do. Our algorithm speaks to both sides. So first of all, what does your map look like? So where do we need to focus? Based on that focus, what should your choices be? This is the difference between disease and health, right? That combination. And that's truly how, what needs to be done. It just wasn't available until now. I also want to say that is one of the most articulate and very understandable ways I've heard it talked about because you're totally right. Everything has been siloed, you know, and you even look at the medical industry. I mean, at least in the, in the United States and it's, you know, doctors who go through eight to 10 years of medical training have two weeks of nutrition. And so how can we really speak to that when nutrition is such an important part? I mean, also where you live in, in terms of geography and what, what your pollutant situation are, there are so many factors that I think go, you know, under represented or, or not even noticed. And those are the things that we have to sort of loop ourselves into when it comes to the epigenetic puzzle but I, I you're right like your genes are your genes and you, these are kind of what you you have and so how do you look at them from that angle from that frame of I want to make the most out of what I've been given and and obviously support 
through all these other different modalities to help, you know, on the epigenetic front. But to look at them as black and white, it just doesn't work that way. It work. No. <laughs> and, and it's purposeful because our medical system is designed for what? Diagnose and treat, right? Let's figure out what we can call it. And then what can you now be dependent on? Versus the question, very simple question of why. And the, the, the crazy thing is, we know why. We understand biology well enough. We understand the human body well enough to understand why. That's just not applied medically. That's applied in research, which then leads to a drug or a pill, et cetera. It's kind of like you have a car and your tire keeps popping and you keep changing the tire. Meanwhile, you live on a construction site where you're driving over nails every day. The terrain does not match. So you got to look at what's the environment, what's the nutrition lifestyle. You go ahead, keep changing the tire as many times as you want. Keep taking the pill as many times as you want. Or get better tires. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but if you don't detour around that construction with all the nails, you're just fueling the fire. What's the point of changing tires every day, right? That's what it's like taking a pill to mask a symptom. You're only, you're only getting rid of the very last step of chronic disease. This thing started 10, 15 years before. I didn't answer your second question about aging. So when it comes to aging, um, there's a few ways we look at this. There's just the outright science of what aging is. And that's your cells truly just unraveling and your DNA breaking apart. And, you know, it's, it's truly your cells uh, unraveling and unpacking themselves. And that starts to express in the way your skin looks, in the way your hair looks, in the way your brain operates. And the challenge is this belief that it's taken for granted that it's supposed to happen. Well, if it's supposed to happen, why do you have people that are 100 riding bicycles and the people that are 50 that are in chronic disease and in treatment in a hospital, right? Same country, same diet, same ethnicity. Their choices were different. So your cells are only capable of coping with so much. And we can look at very specific pathways. There's a gene called SOD2, SOD2, which determines how well you deal with oxidative stress. So every cell in your body, 50 trillion of them, are constantly taking in oxygen and nutrition to create energy all day long in that process of converting oxygen to energy you create oxidants which are free radicals and toxic your mitochondria is supposed to get rid of that so imagine you have this fireplace that's burning and creating energy some people don't have a chimney we can determine that genetically and so that soot that smoke the byproduct the free radical is just sitting and suffocating the cell it's building up and building up and building up now there's a second phase, which one is how well do I get it out of the cell? You can do that well or not so well. Then once I get it out and put it into the blood, how well do I get rid of it and actually get it out of my body? Right? That phase two detox, clear what's in the blood. Some people also don't do that so well. Now, if you have a combination like this, which you'd be surprised how many people do, this is not a one or 2% problem. This is like a 25, 30% problem. Then all of a sudden, if you decide to run on a treadmill every day and put yourself into oxidative stress, where you're taking in even more oxygen or you don't sleep properly or you're not taking the right supplements or not eating the right foods to recover properly, you know, then that load on your cells just exaggerates, which is why family reunion after five years, why do we all have a very different outcome? Even though we have the same genes per se, right? We're genetically the same because what we did with those genes is very different. So that's one very simple, easy pathway to look at. How well do you deal with oxidation? How well do you deal with detoxification? And if you know what you're doing there, you know what your lifestyle choices should be. Then you can get into stuff like hormones, right? There's some women 
who are, when we can very precisely predict this genetically, that are more estrogen dominant. There are some women that are more androgen dominant. So the, the, the cascade of, I make progesterone, I convert that to testosterone, and I convert that to estrogen. There's a bit more nuances there, but that's the overall pathway. Men and women do the same thing. Men do it every day. Women do it once a month, that cycle. So in that path, you may just fill that estrogen bucket a lot more. And there's genes that do that, that literally instruct how much to make. That woman is going to have beautiful hair and skin, you know, and is going to look youthful. She's going to be, uh, you know, body type, more female figure, right? Bigger curves, that type of thing. The woman who's more androgen dominant is going to have a nice ripped six pack. And it's very easy for her to burn fat and see every ripple of every muscle. But she may have cystic acne problems. Her hair may not be the same as her friends. You know, hair is literally falling out. It's like kind of dry. It doesn't have that sheen to it. Uh, skin wrinkles faster and ages faster. Uh, but she's going to have more vitality and youthfulness. She'll still be riding her bicycle into whatever age she wants. But she's not going to look outwardly the same. But now one aged internally, one aged externally. So what even is aging? Right. So that, that now you can understand that you can be very that that's the second one. Then we can look at other pathways like the brain and what's happening cognitively. And what are you doing with pollutants and food? I was speaking to this clinician the other day who's focused on Alzheimer's research. And he said 68 percent of today's dementia is airborne, meaning what we're breathing in and the pollution we're breathing in and the toxic insults. There you go. There's your HEPA filter, right? That's what's leading to this cognitive decline. Not because you have Alzheimer's. You weren't born with Alzheimer's. Why does it happen later in life? Because there's multiple paths that can lead to cognitive decline, which we believe is another outcome of aging. One of them is how well do we deal with pollutants? Because if they enter the blood, our blood-brain barrier was not designed to block those things because our ancestors didn't have them. They weren't dealing around in an industrialized pollutant, you know, pesticides in our glass, gra uh, grass and chemicals on our countertops and all that stuff. They didn't have to deal with that. Same thing with our food, the, the detox capacity of our gut and what we actually inherited from our ancestors does not cope with the reality of what we eat today. And so now these toxic insults can also enter through your gut or actually cause gut permeability and leak through your gut wall directly into your blood, cross that blood brain barrier. So now you have things that age you that are never considered part of aging, right? The, the drying chemical that was used to dry wheat so that it could be stored through the winter because in New York, we have a long winter, right? That's the thing that may be causing your gut issues that could then lead to permeability entering the brain. And there's so many things we can talk about, but here's a few examples of your the why that very first question why because aging is aging but why do i age differently than that person because you may be in one of these profiles or several other profiles and your habits environment nutrition and lifestyle don't match that profile fascinating i love how you just laid that out by the way i love the tire analogy so i'm going to add <laughs> to this because as y'all know i'm an avid four by four overlander in the woods 200k out of cell reception if I am not prepared, if I don't have the right tires, I'm not going to have a smooth and safe ride. I'm going to have to be fixing a flat and there ain't no one to call for help because I am the call. I am the help. So think of like your tires and making sure you have the right tires on your ride is uh, 
almost a component of reading your script. What do you have ahead of you? What, what are you maybe going to be experiencing on the trails or predisposed to from a disease perspective? So in this regard, test, don't guess, get the right tires and tools and make the right choices with your lifestyle for a safe and smoother ride. So thank you so much for being able to drop that. And I'm sure the gentlemen listeners will appreciate that. Same thing goes with electrical, right? If you have a certain vehicle that is prone to certain type of electrical malfunctions or, you know, this type of kilometer or mileage, you're going to have to do this. You can do things to prepare for that. Uh, Same thing goes with neurologically with our behaviors. If we know that we are wired for something to maybe come up, we can do things to mitigate that or reduce damage to maybe other systems of the body or other things in the vehicle that that electrical system could wreak havoc on. So uh, the mechanics of the vehicle is much like the mechanics of the body. I'm very, very happy to be able to put those two and two together sometimes. Uh, Because sometimes when we talk about health and skin and aging, it's hard for the guys to kind of relate. Or those that are very practical, like how my brain works, I want to know the nuts and bolts literally of how things work and interact. So when you're talking about things pertaining to the skin. What does our DNA say about acne, cellulite, gray hairs? And how can we flip that script to get more optimal skin, slow aging, and say, get the right two tires on our vehicle and set ourselves up for success? Yeah. So all of those things can be genetically informed. And again, starts with what we said first, what's the profile? What's my red flag? My red flag, not a red flag, right? My red flag may be pointing to acne, cellulite, gray hair, or maybe all three. So what points to these things? Uh, actually, it's difficult for them to point to all three, and then we are going to understand that now, because there's one hormone profile where you're more androgen dominant, meaning that your profile leads to more testosterone, and it's true for men and women, same thing. And in that profile, before converting the testosterone into estrogen, some people convert it into what's called DHT. It's a potent manly man version of testosterone. So when you see that NBA player where you can literally see every ripple of every muscle and you can't understand why there isn't a drop of fat on him, that's DHT. It's like my hubby is like shredded. He's got like a 12 pack. <laughs> yeah, so shred. So a 12 pack is, you know, it's a little excessive, but okay. That's... <laughs> wow, that's, that's actually incredible. I once, once for one day had an eight pack when I was like in grade 11 and I could never see it again. I don't know if it was a dream, but I, I did see it for a day. But anyways, so I, I, yeah, so when it comes to acne, if you are making DHT and a lot of it, then there's another question. How well do you clear it? Because there's also a, another gene that gets rid of it. So if you're making a lot and you don't clear it so well, it's sitting there causing a toxic insult to your skin and to your hair follicles. And this is why you'll see cystic acne and balding go hand in hand. For men, it also leads to prostate enlargement. Right? So it's a, it's a big warning sign. When you see a young man who's balding early, he needs to stay ahead of his prostate health. And a clinician would never put those things together because they're not system-based. They're symptom-based. Prostate has nothing to do with hair or hormones. It's prostate. It's not at all true. It's, there's something that caused that. The why is DHT. How much do you make? How well do you clear it? you got to answer, ask two questions. Again, that, that, but that doesn't lead to graying hair. That more leads to loss of hair. Graying hair is rooted in cellular inflammation from oxidation. So when you're over-oxidized and you can't get rid of that oxidation, the thing that we talked about, the cells with that load, um, 
that will lead to the hair gray because you're you're prematurely aging yourself. It will also lead to the hair, the skin wrinkling. So you ever taken a look at these uh, sort of marathon runners and you look at the guys that are mature, like they're like in their 50s or 60s that have been doing it for some time. And there's two or three of them that look amazing. But the rest of them are all haggardly and their skin's all wrinkled and they look like they've been out in the sun, like leather that's been tanning. You know, <laughs> that, that that's because they've oxidized themselves. So they've, they've prematurely aged themselves because of that overload of cardiovascular activity, which they thought was healthy. Maybe it was good for their heart, but it was bad for everything else. It's actually very common in the plastic surgery, cosmetic dermatology, aesthetics world to call it like the runner's face, right? right. Um, breakdown of the fat pads, the bones, soft tissue, collagen, and elastin. Right. Uh, even those living in hotter climates, this seems to impact them also quite a bit more. Right. So quite fascinating what you just said. Now, Thank you. Now, now you can predict that. You can literally predict what bucket you fall. Because some people, it's not a threat. They can go ahead and do it and they'll, they'll do fine. But very few people. Cellulite is the converse of the acne. That's estrogen dominance. And this is why the challenge of, you know, I'm trying to target the cellulite and burn it off. And, you know, I'm, if I exercise my way out of it, it's, it's hormonally driven. It's not that you have too much fat or too much weight. You have hormones instructing the storage of fat here. So keep in mind, whatever you believe about gender, biologically, women were designed, if you think about our DNA, it's 200,000 years old, by the way, the genes that are in your body. So it's only the last, what, couple hundred years that there wasn't a clear delineation between man go fight and hunt and woman stay home and take care of the kids. That was the reality until, I don't know, maybe two generations ago. So everything about our ability to survive and cope and, and thrive as a species is around that delineation, including women store fat, men burn fat. So when it comes to stress and fight or flight, men, this is why intermittent fasting doesn't work the same for men as it does for women. Intermittent fasting for men, great. Do it every single day. And the more you do it, the better you feel. Some women, okay. But for most, do it more than two days a week or three days a week. You might have a converse effect. You might start to gain weight or start to feel depressed or brain fog because biologically, the female body goes into, I need to store fat and this is starvation and I need to take care of the kids. The man's body goes, we're going into battle. I need to get strong. I need growth hormone. I need agility. I need recovery, right? That, that's the reality that thousands and thousands and thousands, 200,000 years to be precise, is what our genes were exposed to. That was the epigenetic factor on that feeling of starvation, right? So it goes back to cellulite. That's just estrogen dominant and fat storage. It's not a separate siloed problem from the rest of your body that you can target separately. Your estrogen dominant, so the, the, the solution can be if it's a problem for you. There are supplements you can take that block the estrogen conversion, which is even more important if you're estrogen toxic, by the way. Some women that are estrogen dominant, that produce a lot more estrogen, also convert that estrogen into a toxic byproduct, which can be the root of breast cancer, ovarian cancer, a crazy menopause, horrible PMS and mood cycle, you know, up and down. Um, so... For some women, that's more like a clinical need. They need to prevent this toxic estrogen. And for some women, it can be part of that, you know, therapeutic or outward beauty protocol. Like I'm, I'm dealing with stuff with a professional like you guys. 
but I'm also targeting it, targeting it internally by taking a supplement that will block the conversion. And these things are very safe and simple. They're ingredients that come from food, right? So now all of a sudden you're dealing with the root and you can really truly block the cell instead of wondering why me, you know? I've spent more time and money biohacking my cycle than I would like to admit. But I, I started to notice as I got into my early 30s, I was like, oh, things are starting to change for me here with mental fatigue, brain fog, body fatigue, body aches. I was like, this is not right. And so, of course, I read up on it. I experimented with all sorts of things. I finally got it dialed in. I take a couple of supplements. I'm not going to mention them here, but I, I took it upon myself to do the research and figure out, oh, my God. There are parts, there are times in my cycle, and of course, this only applies to people who are in that menstrual phase, but parts of my cycle that I need to actually consume more calories. That's important. And then there's other times when it's okay if I don't consume as many calories, but it's a delicate balance. And when it comes to the supplement stuff, that's also a delicate balance that requires a lot of tests, many rounds of testing, because, you know, there's no like specific science for every single woman on how to deal with this kind of stuff. So I think it's really important. Now, this also really ties in well to something I'm actually dealing with on a very personal level, which is my mom was just diagnosed with stage two breast cancer. And so she is actually undergoing treatment for that right now. One of the things that has been a primary concern for my sister and I is, uh, well, does this mean that we're genetically predisposed? She's getting tested for the BRCA gene, the BRCA, which is really kind of in the medical you know, terminology or medical world is sort of the gene that they flag to say, oh yes, your daughters might be predisposed. So they might want to start getting mammograms earlier, blah, blah, blah. I would love to hear from you kind of what your thoughts are on overemphasizing our worry and fear about this gene. What is it actually really telling us? Yeah. So that's a perfect example of genetics versus functional genomics or polygenics, whatever, or you know, functional interpretation, like what we now have available to us. So genetics is there's data out there that says that uh, BRCA is directly related related to breast cancer. Um, If you ask the same clinician that told your mom to go get the BRCA test, what does BRCA do? I would argue that they would be clueless because even to say, and this is what doctors do say, and not no fault of their own, they weren't taught any different, that there's a predisposition towards breast cancer, which makes you believe that BRCA causes breast cancer. That's what it means, right? What's the truth? The truth is BRCA is a tumor suppressing gene. It actually saves you from cancer. When you get cancer, it's supposed to fix it and get rid of it. If you have the bad version of BRCA, you don't do a good job of repair. So what it means is if you were to get breast cancer, you're less likely to survive. It has nothing to do with causing breast cancer. The challenge is when you're told BRCA positive, you're then told prevention, go cut something off. Instead of asking why would I, not a person, but why would I get breast cancer? And we can get very specific on that. Now, I'm not saying that we can predict every breast cancer, but I'm saying that we can predict the big buckets, the majority of why they happen. There's some rare genetic conditions where it's coming, it's happening. There's not much you can do to prevent it, right? There, there's certain cancers that are truly genetically driven. A gene is broken and causes it. That's a very small percentage. For the majority, it's, again, environment, nutrition, and lifestyle on the wrong profile. So 
Some women, like we said, are estrogen dominant. We covered that. Some women that are estrogen dominant are estrogen toxic. We covered that too. Third layer that we didn't cover is some women that are in this estrogen dominant and toxic bucket don't have the right clearance pathways to get rid of that toxicity that they make month after month after month. So now you have that perfect storm of too much, too toxic, and I don't get rid of it. So it's floating around, causing problems. Even then, you're not sick. Some women have this profile. Again, what's the environment, nutrition, lifestyle choice? We have to put the both together, right? Some women also take birth control pills for 20 years and fuel that estrogen fire. Some women go on hormone replacement therapy to stay young without first looking in their genetics to understand what they're doing with what they put in their body. Some women don't understand the risks of hormone disruptors when you're out there gardening, breathing in the pesticides or using your frying Teflon coated frying pan or even something as simple as touching a grocery receipt. These are all hormone disruptors that mimic estrogens as they enter your body. So your body treats it as more estrogen fueling that fire. That's the woman for whom she has the risk and she's made the wrong choices, no fault of her own. She wasn't taught any different to now cause the level of inflammation that can cause the cancer. So then why then does it usually happen around the menopause age? Because you no longer have a menstrual cycle to get rid of that toxic monthly load, but you're still making it. And your body doesn't want it floating around in the blood. Your body's smart enough to know this is going to cause damage to organs and your vasculature, etc. So it stores it in fat. And where do women have fat? Right? In the hips and in the breasts. And in your breasts, there's all these sensitive glands to deliver milk that were never designed at a cellular level to cope with that level of toxic insult. Your lungs, your stomach were designed to be filters. This, this was not. That's why breast cancer is so prevalent because the load of estrogen dominance is common. Estrogen toxic is common. The environmental threat blanketing women now is so common. And this area where the stuff gets stored, it's just so easy to trigger cancer. That's where BRCA is supposed to start working and repairing the cancer. But none of this stuff that is so important, that's all the why, why, why did I get sick, is ever, ever spoken of. It's not even known or looked at clinically. It's just, do you have BRCA predisposition? No, it's how well or likely are you to survive? That's really the question. But why have it in the first place? It's, it's caused by choices. One of the questions I wish they had asked my mom when she was first going through and they didn't was, did you have any stress in your life in the last three years? Yeah, my dad died and no. she lost, you know, we lost family members and there was a huge internal shift mentally, physically, emotionally, all of that stuff happened. And then three years later, she gets a diagnosis that was never asked, that was never talked to her. I had to sit her down and say, mom, let's get real with this. Yep. I understand the genetic stuff, but Nan, our, our grandmother didn't have it. Her grandmother didn't have it. I said, isn't it strange? This all sort of happened. And so these are the things I'm talking about when we say, what is the big picture going on? What are the changes that are happening? Uh, you know, she's past menopausal age. So obviously there's a lot of stuff going on with the estrogen and they throw things, they throw words like, progesterone dominant or progesterone positive, estrogen dominant, all these things which confuse her yeah. versus saying, hey, let's actually take a look at like the genetics and the data points and also the other factors, right? The epigenetic yeah. factors that may have caused this here. And how can we balance the two? 
That's where I would love to see the medical industry go in the next few years. That's where I think DNA company and others that are working to kind of help with this information will sort of steer us into that direction. Yeah, they, they can't ignore it. The personalized medicine wave is so powerful. The functional medicine wave is so powerful. When people get healed, the buzz that's created versus like masking some, even what they're telling your mom about estrogen positive, they're talking about the cancer. They're not even talking about her body. They're studying the cancer and telling her what kind of estrogen positive cancer without even understanding the, the terrain, the body that it's in, right? So it, it's all going to shift there because the more people that get healed, the more people that are going to speak. And, and so it's, yeah, it'll go like wildfire, like you said. Yeah, very interestingly enough here, my mother had the estrogen receptive breast cancer in situ and it, crazy in my mid twenties doing my med school prerequisites, all this stuff. My mother and sister were actually both diagnosed with cancer within a month of each other. Um, so with my mom, I actually went to the meeting with her and her oncologist and I just point blank asked her oncologist, did her HRT cause her estrogen receptive breast cancer? And the oncologist very point blank said, yes. And when I think back on all of this, I learned that in my mid twenties that, Hey, maybe I have some type of predisposition to this estrogen stuff and I'm going to not eat soy products. I'm going to not eat products high in estrogen. I actually went to the dietitian lifestyle meetings for her where they're like, you need to avoid all these products because they're estrogen mimicking. That's why I'm so passionate about this in skincare and avoiding skin toxins in her overall self care products, cleaning products. And I, what you mentioned was very fascinating how hormone disruption and aging is contributed by airborne pesticides, HRT, internal, you know, messing with our, our ideal machinery, which really when she was on HRT, it hadn't been around that long. And I always have the seven to eight year rule. Don't do the brand new thing on the market. You got to wait go through the clinical trials and then also wait for it to be used on the general population. And I learned this through injectables and rejuvenation because I just saw so many problems. The other thing you mentioned was contact with ink and paper. And actually Dave Asprey taught me that a long time ago. So we have airborne, we have uh, chemical onslaughts in our food and what we're told to do. And then we also have a uh, contact. So thank you so much for shedding light on that and just helping us all to create awareness. No, it's a pleasure. And just Google endocrine disruptors, you know, yeah. endocrine. You'll find lists and lists and lists everywhere, and you'll be shocked how much around you you need to avoid. Uh, but the good news, we're now in the reality where there's so many options available of clean stuff that it's, it shouldn't be a challenge. That's my job. I sort that out for my clients. You got to avoid parabens, salates, sulfates, artificial dyes, fragrances, and obviously with the skin stuff, not testing on animals, but for certain medical things, yeah, you got to do the rat studies first and all that. So do you have any closing words, Katie, Kashif, for what we've shared today? Sure. Uh, well, I, yeah, I just, I, I mean, my belief, you know, especially the conversation we had today is that people should understand that aging at least the rate at which you age and chronic disease are choices it's do not take for granted that you know the, the american average today is by the age of 55 you have a disease by the age of 60 you have two and you spend your last 15 of your life 15 years of your life in treatment that's the expectation right that's that's the norm 
all of that is based on why 50? Why not 20? Because your body is resilient and will fight and will fight and will fight. But you start to lose your mitochondria and your hormones start to go down and all the tools that you fight with aren't there anymore. And by the age of 55, the inflammatory insult is so high, you get sick. Which sickness just depends where you're not doing well in your body. So all of this, if we now know why it happens, why should it happen? It shouldn't happen. If we know if we know why exactly we age, and you can arm yourself with the, that information, why should you age rapidly? Why don't you add an extra 15 years to your life? Healthy, quality years. So, I mean, that's what I would leave with. That it, It's truly with the choices we have, the tools we have, if you were to take control and put things into your own hands as opposed to what did my doctor tell me, it's all a choice. You can control it and you can live gracefully and as long as you want and ride your bicycle till you're 120. Well, this was a lovely episode and thank you so much Kashif Khan from the DNA company for joining us here on the show. And as a thank you to you tuning in and listening and spending this time with us, that was educational information only, by the way, not medical advice. If you think you have a medical condition, you must take the guidance of a licensed physician. Bonus points if you find those rock star healers that combine the best of many worlds, both the Western and the aloe and the um, holistic types of functional methods. So register for the Biohacker DNA Summit, which Kashif Khan is hosting. And purchase your DNA 360 test kit and use code BB for $50 off at the dnacompany.com slash BB50. And you can also find these links in the show notes over at beautyandthebiohacker.com forward slash blog. Thanks everybody for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you again right here on the Beauty and the Biohacker podcast. <laughs>